When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Do you have a podcast or were you interested in starting a podcast? Well, then you got to check out Libsyn.com. We host our podcast on Libsyn.com because of its easy setup, its wonderful global distribution, and customized branding. For as little as $5 a month, you can get started today. Sign up using promo code CRIT and get two months free. Take your podcasting to the next level with excellent hosting from Libsyn.com. Do you find yourself using the same monsters in D&D over and over again? Yeah, of course. Well, join us as we touch on five more underrated monsters for your stories and campaigns. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Brandon. We hope to inspire you with creative content for you to bring with you on your next D&D adventure. What a great topic. We all know that the world of Dungeons & Dragons has hundreds, maybe even thousands of monsters for the dungeon master to choose from, right? I mean, especially when you go to the past editions, yeah. Oh, yeah. When he sent me me to the Beastie, I was like... Holy shit. Scroll, 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 <laughs> yep. scroll. There's a lot of monsters. Yep. Hence why today's happy five underused monsters. Yep. <laughs> but we can uh but we can often find ourselves using just the kind of the same monsters over and over. And honestly, I'm guilty of this too. I've done this. Um I think we all get our favorites, but there's a difference between favorites and then just using the same things over and over. So yeah. um for me, a goblin, a kobold, or even orcs to name a few. I mean, I think we've all played in games that have those, right? Well, they're the classics. Uh, Right. Hmm. But does that mean that they're overused? No. Oh, I disagree. (laughs) They're overused a lot, especially uh, goblins and orcs. Like, I don't even see kobolds as much as I see the goblins and orcs. I see goblins more than kobolds. Although I think one reason for that is, as like one uh, person put it, Goblins are like the one creature you, you can throw anywhere, and you go, okay, this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it fits really good. So, um... Happen to be there. There are so many other interesting <laughs> monsters that are in the D&D lore and adventures, right? I mean, yeah, I, and some of them are so cool. I gotta say, when when you think of D&D and someone brings up a, a monster like, oh, the Draculich, it's like, oh, I know what that is, but I've never really seen one. You don't see it get played too often. And how many of you guys seen the Moon Cow before? That's what I'm exactly. <laughs> you're joke. You're not joking. No. There is a cow level, and yeah, we've got. Well, well, I'm like moon cow. That doesn't sound scary. Like that stuff. Like holy crap, this thing's scary. No. <laughs> we got five Look monsters that we've chosen. Yeah. I only recognize the last one. The first four, I've I've never heard of them. I've never seen. Now them before. it's worth noting that we did pull the audience across different platforms to determine what some of these were, um, and ironically, um, Ian submitted a list, and I think four of these were on there. Um, three, I think. Three? Okay. So, um, in this episode, in this episode, we will not only be discussing these monsters, um, but we're also going to delve into the myriad of different ways that you can use them in your D&D campaigns. Now, for me, uh, we're going to talk lore, but then we're going to really touch on the mechanics that they have and how we can get the most out of them. So, this monster that we're going to talk about first, the Magmin, is one of my favorites. And I do want to mention, I did encounter these playing Princess of the Apocalypse. Yes, because you do, uh, that's very elemental based, right? Yes. So, um, but it's worth noting that not everyone runs the official content like we do too. Mm. So, and that's a a pretty common experience. Do you run official content or do you run homebrew and maybe some modules? The second one. Right. (laughs) So we're going to talk Magmen first. So if you don't know, the Magmens are tiny little fire elemental spirits that are bound into physical form by magic. Now, the uh, they view kind of flammable objects as sort of kindling for their grand conflagration, which I think is just awesome lore. And only the magical control exuded by the summoner 
really keeps them from just burning everything to ash. Like, yeah, <laughs> they get a very much a giggles and ex- enjoyment out of burning things, right? They do. <laughs> <laughs> they have a propensity for fire and havoc, so it's good that they're under control. What happens is when they are not under control. Yeah. So, for me, this monster has already got some cool flavor, right? Yes. It's a uh, low-level monster. I think it's a CR half. Yep. CR um, half. Which means you can introduce elementals right out the gate to your party. Oh, yes. And a bigger headache. They are essentially resistant to non-magical physical attacks. <laughs> and strip immune to fire. Oh. Go figure. That's a that's a rough start. Yeah, that's a really rough start because guess what? The most common cantrip of spellcasters is at level one. Firebolt. Firebolt. Oh, <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Especially for you melee characters out there. How so? When they die, they have a death burst. Oh my god, yes. They explode. <laughs> they go boom in your face. Now, when you're fighting a goblin, you slay the goblin. Goblin falls. Nothing exciting. Doesn't have resistance to weapons. Doesn't have immunity to fire. But this little half CR will be more dangerous than any goblin that you can expect. And what's worse, as Ian just mentioned, the kaboom at the end when you destroy one. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. What do you think happens when it goes kaboom, Brandon? And it's anything within you 10. You probably have to make a deck save or yep. get screwed well, with fire damage. Beyond that. Beyond that? Because already you're going to surprise the players, right? They're not. Most of them aren't going to be expecting a kaboom in their face when they melee attack. Yep. What do you think else would happen because of this thing bursting into flames? Surrounding objects will catch on fire. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And uh, at a half CR, that's kind of that seems kind of OP. <laughs> if it does seem like that, doesn't it? But they have that HP. So yeah, they go down in one hit. But going down in uh, one hit, most cases, and blowing up in your face is phenomenal. I'm actually now oh. picturing evil wizard literally hurling these things at the players. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the, the, the thing I want to touch on is so um, if you're fighting a group of these and they're all close together, they're immune to fire. So they've got no fear of it. But if they brought bring in all the melee characters close together, a chain of events can really rock the party. You can wipe a party. You can wipe a level two party with these very quickly. Without even having very many. Oh um, my god. But. Or maybe instead of like an enemy spellcaster whipping them at people, they intentionally cluster them around their enemies and then hit, it, hit the air with a non fire area spell attack. Oh, I like that. Detonating multiple magmen at once plus their spell. So you know what I think is funny? It's, it's, it has to do with their other ability. and Which is? Uh, what's it called? Ignited Illumination. Oh yeah, which I think is hilarious because under senses it says it's got dark vision up to sixty feet. Right. But under Ignited Illumination, it can light itself on fire to shed bright light up to ten feet and dim light ten more feet. Yep. Which I think is hilarious oh, because they have dark vision, but they don't need it. <laughs> like carrying torches, <laughs> but they're on uh, fire. So. Dalsinius says walking kamikaze bombs. Absolutely. Yep. Um, one of my favorite monsters in Final Fantasy is the bomb, just because it's such a terrible thing. But I want to go back to what Brandon <laughs> pointed out. Yeah. They burn things to the ground. So a village is attacked by two of these. Two of them, A rift is open. Two of these things are running around lighting everything on fire. <laughs> and what do you think the players are going to do right out the gate? The characters are going to do? Kill them. Yeah. Boom. So, do you think they're going to think, hey, this thing is dangerous. We should look up on it before we just attack it? Probably not. I would say a safe arcana check for a wizard or spellcaster might be a good way to uh, potentially feed knowledge that they explode. But if they don't go out of their way to learn that, and they fight this thing in the middle of the city, buildings are going to burn, potential innocents are going to be destroyed, and who do you think the locals are going to blame? You! They are totally going to blame the characters, because the adventurers <laughs> should know better. Should. They should know better, right? Yeah, should. But they don't always. But no. they don't always. No. All right. So the Magman is one of my personal favorites. There's a lot you can do. It's early on uh, elementals, and they are fantastic, powerful tools. Now, if you really want to get fancy like I do, nothing says the Magman has to be lava. No. You touched on different elements. You can change it to any element you want. An Acidman, right? Well, Hydromen. Well, those things... I, I, th- I do think that there are other elemental equivalents that already exist anyway, but... Hey, we are not talking about methods today. We are talking about <laughs> magmans, okay? 
I'm just saying. But I know, I know where you're going <laughs> with the Mephits, and I agree Mephits are pretty cool. But I see those a lot too. All right. Yeah. So um, all right. I think that will do it for the Magman. No. No? No. Their their melee attack is far worse than I thought it was. Yeah, 2d6 fire. It's 2d6 fire damage. Great no. sword. No. If the target is a creature or a flammable object, it ignites. Boom. Until the creature takes an action to douse the fire. If it doesn't, it burns slowly. Oh, yeah. At the end too. of each of its turn. Yeah, yeah so, too. <laughs> so it's a CR half. The players, what's the highest HP a player one character probably has? Uh, 12 what? on average, probably. 12, 12 on average? What? Yep. 1d12, that, that's the highest uh, hit. 1d12 right? is the highest, so you assume plus 2 is pretty typical. 14. Yeah. This yeah. thing can down potentially down even a barbarian in a round. Yep. At a half CR. That is brutal. God, I love magnets. Yep. Anyways, this is why part of the reason people think some of my monsters are unbalanced, because I use monsters like this as a template. <laughs> 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 All right, Ian, would you like to tell us about our next monster? Well, this one's kind of a catch-all, but the Mordrins, which are beings of absolute law that adhere to a high, like hierarchy, mm-hmm. and they do kind of have like a high mind, so go figure. They have a plane of Mechanicus and tend to its eternally revolving gears, and their existence is like a clockwork routine of perfect order. Yes. And it's worth noting that Modrons are actually kind of a catch-all term because there's actually yes, five there's, creatures. <laughs> there's multiple different okay, types of Modron. Like, is that like a mind player? No. no, it's like little box constructs. Yep. They're little robots, basically. Yep. Um, like Wallies? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Ian, what is what – is, um, first of all, the, the Modrons are awesome because like every like 170 years, yep. Primus – might be 17 years. I don't know, 170, 117? Well, well, Anyways. 100. Uh, these, these things just get sent out like drones across the multiverse and just overrun planes of existence. That already is an amazing campaign hook. Oh, yeah. It starts off with your party finding one or two or three. And the next thing you know, there's an entire invasion. Yeah. Oh, and the fun part, too, is if you kill it of the Modrons, one in the ring below it's automatically promoted to it. And then one's created at the lowest level. Yes. So that actually touches in the hierarchy for the lore. So yep, every yeah. time they get destroyed, they slowly move up. Oh, so 289 years. 289 years. Thank you for looking that up. I knew it was a couple hundred years. I wasn't sure exactly how many, though. Um, so that already, for lore purposes, is amazing. Um, I also think these are really cool <laughs> because they're, they many of them have multiple hands. And so they get three, four, and five attacks at really low CRs, yep. oh. which is brutal. Ooh, and also fun, too. Anytime you kill a, kill a Modrin, it's body disintegrates. <laughs> oh, yes. No evidence. There's no proof. <laughs> well, and actually, I think that makes for a perfect assassin bot. Because... It can basically just stab itself and pff, gone once it's done the deed, and nobody can connect it to the Primus. Yeah. <laughs> or whoever took control of it or hotwired it. It's like a music. <laughs> so, um, once again, <laughs> I want to touch on the, the core feature that the fact that they can attack three, four, and five times in some cases. I think there's one or two that doesn't have it, but yeah. the majority of them have some sort of multi-attack, which makes them really great for grappling, but also, even though I think they yeah. got a weak, a weak strength, yep. um, the fact that you can deliver so many blows is terrifying to a player. What yeah, are the, these, like CR1, 2? Uh, well, the Pentadrone, which is the highest one listed CR2, but it can attack five times. Yes. And it can release a paralysis gas in the cone. Yes. Paralysis the, the, gas? The paralysis yeah. gas knocks you unconscious if you're poisoned. Well, then well, grappling paralyzed, doesn't actually. matter. Paralyzed, I'm sorry. What? Well, then grappling doesn't matter, does it? Because no. if you can't move, it's like... Uh, they just uh, drag you around. Uh, and I think that's what makes these little buggers interesting. And, and that can punch you five times. <laughs> so, <laughs> as a second level character, this thing pops up, pops you once, attacks you again, attacks you again... How much damage does it do? Attacks you again, attacks you again. Like... Well, that one... It, is that the it, one that's got five? Yeah, the one that's five. Yeah, it's plus four to hit and does a one d six plus two damage, but that's still five attacks. That's five <laughs> attacks at one d six. One d six plus two. One d six plus two. That is a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, and potential potentially could be. And the one below at the quad drone is equipped with a short bow, which, which it can attack with four times. Is that can it fly? Is that the one that can fly? Yes. So it can fly and shoot four times. So what makes these things interesting is the fact that they can attack so many times at such a low CR. Um, which I think is great, Brandon. What do you think about these? They they sound like a uh, uh, a revelations creature. <laughs> like this is the ultimate uh, 
plan. Let him go. Yep. But yeah, he starts off as mono drones, which can chuck javelins and goes up to the pentadrone. <laughs> okay. At least, at least that was released. I think the past editions had higher tiered ones, but hey. So there's another thing uh, that I think makes these really cool. Ian mentioned that they have a hive mind. Yep. For those of you who don't know, it means they're all connected. Yep. So what do you think happens when you yeah. beat one? They, they all, all know. know. <laughs> so this is this is where I think the Modron is most interesting. They all have now fought the player characters, which means they know what? <laughs> they know how to fight you. They know how to fight them. <laughs> they know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. They know who the healer is. They know who the person is that can wipe them out with a single bust of fire. Oh, and it's also worth noting that none of these, because of that nature, can be compelled to, to act in a matter contrary to its nature or its instructions. Oh, surprise, surprise. No mind control for you. If you uh, hover one of these things into a anti-magic field, does that block the hive mind? No. It no. does not? It's not magic. It's not magic. It just it's just a char character feature. <laughs> I feel like Justin's going to throw these to us in Ravnica. We'll see. Delsenia <laughs> says that the art in the monster manual is actually surprisingly adorable. Yep. I'm not sure she's uh, talking about this or the uh, Magman, though. Uh, so, I, think, uh, I think she's talking about these. Delsinia is making a good point. Um, is a par par uh, hitting somebody paralyzed an automatic crit? Uh, yeah, they're yeah. incapacitated. So now they paralyzing breath you and get five attacks on you that are automatic crits. That was fast. You're going to die quick. <laughs> <laughs> that was – he was our strongest barbarian. We told him not, not to run in. <laughs> So the last thing I want to touch on before we move on to the next one um, is the fact that these are kind of like, like excellent servants. So you could toss these yep. as like little servant droids yep. that the players try to pull one over when the guy's gone. And they, they you never expect the thing with a little duster cleaning everything yep. as being a thing that can destroy you. Because as Dulcinea pointed out, these things are adorable if you look at the artwork. Yep. So I kind of find it. So yeah, that's all right. So well, well. That's because like like mojos are like a class of creatures, not an individual creature. So each yeah. one has a different names. So like look at monodrone for example. Monodrone or penta penta pentadrone. Yep. Whatever. All right. So that'll do it for the modron. Brandon, would you like to tell us about the other one that I don't know how to pronounce? The utyoff. Is that how you say it? The utyoff. Utyoff. It's better than I would have guessed. That's my guess. Uh, I can tell you the moment. O t y u g h. U g h is a ugh. Utyoff. That's kind of what it looks like. Utyoff. <laughs> and also, it's a grotesque, bulbous creature born along. Odiog. Yeah. Odiog. Fuck Google. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's in the beyond. God damn it. Oh, <laughs> Did it say powered by Google? No. <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. No. Uh, it's a bulbous creature uh, born along on three sturdy legs. Its eyes and nose set along a vine like stalk and. Like, the snakes from the top of its bloated body. Yep. Ew. Uh, <laughs> yeah, two rubbery tentacles end in spiky, leaf-like appendages that the Utioch, that's what I'm calling it, uses to shovel food into its gaping maw. And there's, <laughs> there's a maw. Those things are fugly. <laughs> and they're scavengers. Yeah. You have, um, you have a photo, right? What's that looking like? Yeah, so these things are pretty interesting. Um, I really like this monster because it has a unique ability. It's like a graboid pig. It does. It? It's a graboid with tentacles. Um, Graboids have tentacles. Legs. So the creature actually has a relatively low intelligence, but it can communicate telepathically. And it's CR5. And I think that is very interesting. Because it can't really speak words, but it can send like images. So you know the first thing that comes to mind of this thing? Is it sending mental images of it devouring you before you even fight it. Like, you get these telepathic images in your head of dangling by a tentacle from its maw as it's crunching on your head. Like, it's a, it's would that force an intimidation check? It's limited telepathy, which means that this form of telepathy doesn't allow the receiving creature to telepathically respond. You can't tell back. So all you can see is these nightmarish images popping up in your head as you're about to deal with it. Yep, and they can attack three times. Simple they, messages and images. So they actually have a very uh, um, uh, other unique powers. What do you guys think about the, the the telepathy strategy? If you want to be eaten, don't say anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're cool because not only do they are they they pretty they're big right they're large are they yep. large or huge I don't remember. Uh, they are large. Oh, they are so they're pretty big creatures, but they have these massive tentacles. Yep. Um, and they're bite. 
Well, we'll get to that for uh, in a second. Well, oh, let's yeah. start with the bite. Why don't you tell us what the bite does? I know it does damage. What is the other side effect? Well, first off, it has three attacks, one bite, two tentacles. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The bite... Well, if you're bitten by this thing, you have to roll a DC 15 uh, con check, and if you fail, you're poisoned for 24 hours. It, what does the poison do? Because I think this is fascinating. Well, first off, you come, you get the poison conditions, which, which means, sucks. Because disadvantage on attacks. Mm -hmm. And you have to, to make a save every 24 hours. And at the time you fail, your max HP goes down. Literally, if you get bit by this thing, you might just die eventually. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? Oh. You just, you just die. You lose hit points, and that means every day you're weak. Weaker and weaker and weaker, potentially. And every time it attacks with its tentacles, you're automatically grappled. <laughs> That's not even the worst of it. No! So once it's got you grappled, it has one more feature that is terrifying. A tentacle slam. Yes, it literally doesn't have to roll once it's got you. It can just slam you into anything. I like the idea of using its tentacles, which have a 10-foot reach, to slam into other player characters. Actually, it does say, it, yes, two characters grab all and slam them into each other. So. I love it, I love it, I love it. <laughs> and think about the vision of this. This thing's got a gaping maw. It's sending you horrifying visions of it devouring you and having you uh, excrement out the other end. On top of that, it's flailing your player characters around and smashing them into each other, into houses, into the ground. Um, if you do get hit, you have to make a uh, con save. If you fail that, you become stunned. You're stunned. You go, <laughs> that is just a brutal, brutal monster. And this is another oh. example of one of the monsters that I think, first of all, I've only seen in two campaigns. One of them, which I ran, because it was in the other one I was in. It wasn't a campaign. It was a short adventure. But, hey. um, this monster's so cool. I'm putting it in my campaign. Yeah. But it's another one I think is a little stronger than its CR would indicate, I think. Yep. It's Nightmare Fuel. As yes, Dawson, yes. Nightmare, <laughs> nightmare <right>. Fuel. <laughs> um, Brandon, do you have any other uh, thoughts on this? Not in particular, no. Now, it's just terrifying. I want to make it clear that the nightmare uh, mental images isn't a mechanic it has. No. It just says it sends telepathic images to somebody. Yeah, simple for me, messages or images. For me, that that's a way to leverage that mechanic it has, even though it's a beast creature, which I, well, actually I think it's a monstrosity. Especially if, they, if players yeah. don't see that coming and then the DM starts saying, okay, uh, you suddenly have a flash and image of you just being ripped apart by thorny spikes in every direction from chains, and you have no idea why, and then that thing's back to normal. Yeah. Like, what was that about? You're about to find out. And this doesn't even, uh, be, this doesn't even um, touch on the fact that when it has its tentacle and slam ability – if there's nearby hazards, I'm thinking spiked, spiked, uh, spike yep. growth or spikes or thorns or um, As, acid, acid pools. Deep fry. <laughs> Just like dragging them into it. <laughs> Flavoring. Uh, and the last thing about this. I had to clean my food first before I eat it. Oh, God. <laughs> Just sending you images of it, like <laughs> dipping you in. And you think it's trying to clean you off, but it's just dipping you in like a sauce, like a chicken nugget. <laughs> <laughs> what if All right. What if it sent images of uh, – like to one of the magic users and uh, the magic user ends up thinking it's like, oh, this is a premonition type thing. It's like, hey, there's something special behind this door. You see a door and you see a golden glow coming from around it. Using it as a lure. Yeah, and they open the door and oh. – <laughs> They just that pull them in. genius. <laughs> Yep. That like, as they walk near a door, they send this telepathic image of things that might appeal. Yep. It's like a it's like a mimic, kind of, in that point. Making them think it's one thing, but it's not. Ooh, that is yeah. genius. I love that. I also like the entries, too, that says that some, like, uh, evil beings use them as garbage disposals. <laughs> <laughs> but also points out, they don't get them well fed. They might turn on their master. <laughs> Delcinia's got a really great point. Dude, if this thing likes to hang out with garbage, yes. it's got to reek mm -hmm. too. Wouldn't that be an AOE status effect? I totally can see you giving this the stench effect that the uh, troglodyte has. Eh? Easy, easy, easy. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next monster, the fourth of our five lists today, the Periton. Um, They're weird. If you don't know what the Periton is, uh, shame on you. Secondly, although the monstrous carnivore feeds on pretty much any creature, it prefers humanoids, yep. especially elves, half-elves, and humans. These things hunt them. They yep. hunt. <laughs> now – when it kills a humanoid, the periton rips out its prey's heart and takes it back to its nest to be devoured. Yep. 
that is terrifying. If you don't know what a peritone yeah, is, like it's basically a, a giant, <laughs> a giant bird. Basically, basically a medium-sized bird with like a stag head on it. Yeah, like yeah, antlers and, and it's stuff. Got, it's got a lion's mane too. Yeah, it's very cool and it's bright colored, which means it's very pretty. So people will stop and stare at it, which is the first point I want to touch on this thing. It's very brightly colored and looks very pretty, like a parrot. Yep. So I can totally see it using that and trying to pull the 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 kind of the pretending to be adorable and cute before it swoops down and flies off with you. <laughs> like it does have a dive. Dive bonus action. <laughs> and that actually is one of the core mechanics, I think, that make this such an interesting monster. Not bonus action. Anybody, <laughs> anybody that um, knows me knows that I like to grapple players and fly off with them. Yep. Yeah. In fact, this just happened in one of our patron games last month where I was running uh, one of my friends uh, swoop down fighting illusionary uh, paratons that cast illusions and tried to fly off with them. So they had to stop their adventure and chase after the one flying off. Though halfway through, they're like, do we really need him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but basically, when this thing, they dive and move at least 30 feet before it attacks you, it adds an additional 2d to his melee attacks, which can attack twice, by the way. One's a gore, one's a talent. What CR do, do, is it, too? Dive ball! Yep. And here comes the giant fist! Oh, and it gets worse. It has flyby, which means it can fly to you, attack you, then move away without No provoking. op attacks. Yes. It's worth noting, though. It's not limited to just one. So nope. the rules of grappling – so first off, you get the bonus damage. But if you swoop down and grapple something, you can grapple two creatures, even as medium. And it doesn't increase the uh, deficiency of movement speed. Having two creature grappled is still half movement speed. Yep. So that means it can swoop down with its talons, grab two characters, and fly off with them with nobody getting an op attack. And and they can drop them at once. <laughs> Which is what eagles actually do. <laughs> yeah, they, they they like to tenderize their meat ahead of time, so they fly up, drop you really high until you splatter. That's the, dude. Could you imagine the 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 lead up to that? Just seeing like old splotches of dried blood throughout your travel. <laughs> then, I mean, it's a very efficient way to kill something too. Oh, for sure. What do that's you think, a, Brandon? That's a real world thing. I yeah, know. That's what you're saying. Eagles do that, especially at the piers. Like seagulls will grab clams, fly. <laughs> Let them break and crack them open. Or that's how yeah. eagles crack turtles open, too. <laughs> but see, the reason I like this monster is because it's not something that's typically going to just stick around and fight. Nope. So it leads the players into doing what? Hunting them down. Chasing them down, right? And fighting them in their territory. Assuming they can react fast enough to keep up. With a CR2, they're not particularly uh, got a lot on their... Uh, but they do like to keep their nests in high places. Yeah. yeah. Like sides of cliffs are perfect. I mean, they're going to drop their food from a high height to... And they, in a sense, they like to set up near a villages. Of course. To, to, for, for prey, so which means the villages might hire adventurers to get rid of these things. I mean, hell, if you, if you have a party member who's out hunting for rations or whatever, mm -hmm. if they roll a low perception check, you could easily say that they, yeah, you see an elk. There's an elk one around. You want to shoot it? Like, yeah, I shoot it. And then wings just burst out and flies up. And it's like, what the hell was that? And then it comes around and grabs your barbarian. I thieves. totally think you just stumbled <laughs> on one of the best strategies. Somebody using a nature check or a survival check to gather resources just disappears. And then the <laughs> players, other characters have to go out and find the tracks and see that the tracks just end. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness, there is so much you can do with this. Wow. It's just awesome. So, um, all right. Uh, last monster. Um, Ian, do you want us to tell us about the pseudo dragon? Absolutely. Pseudo dragons are really fun. They, they're elusive and they dwell in quiet places, making its home in the hell of the trees and caves. With its uh, red brown scales and uh, horns and a mouth filled with sharp teeth, they resemble a tiny red dragon, but it's playful. Yes, I, I love these. You only ever see these in your games as familiars. Yep. But usually it's by the players, right? Have you guys run into one where one of the NPCs had one? Because typically that was what you would think, right? Yep. That you'd run into an NPC. I think these are a really good uh, tool that's great for making your game feel fantastical. You know what I mean? Yep. Because they're tiny little magical dragons flying around, and it's a really great way to make dragons appear in your story and campaign very easily. Like right out the gate, you can have these things floating around. And they resist magic. And they have limited te telepathy. But they can't speak. Nope. 
I think they use the whole mental image thing. Yep. Which or emotions. To me is a really big push because I loved Aragon. So when he's got his little baby dragon, she's only sending mental images, and they they they're very they remind me of cats. Uh, if you look at the yep. Lord, they're very much like cats. They don't want anything to do with anybody if they don't have to. Okay. And then, <laughs> but wait, there's more. They have a bite and they have a stinger. And the way the poison works actually works oh, like dry yes. poison. <laughs> Was that the one that can knock them unconscious? So it works like dry yes. poison. Yeah, I think oh, it's yeah, so right five, five, five or more. Yep. So that's a pretty cool feature in and of itself too. So which means a smart player, if they have one of these as a pet or familiar, could like knock these things for poison. <laughs> oh, I love that. Use a poisoner's kit. Yeah. Wait, do you got to kill the dra- pseudo dragon? Why would just you milk it? No, it's the same thing as like when they collect with rattlesnakes. Yep. Oh, you put on a plunger and it pushes into the uh, vial. That's a neat idea. Yeah, I, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Ian. Um, the reason I wanted to include this is because to me this is something that falls under the Dungeons and Dragons. But I understand not introducing big big dragons during early on campaigns, yeah. but having these things just be messengers or delivery tools should be something that can really bring your fantasy scenarios to life. Yep. They're obviously not meant to do outright combat, though their stinger can be a bit of a pain if you fail yeah. um, by five or more. But for the most part, these are fun little things you can include. They like to go to like taverns and stuff and drink. Did you know that? No. That was one of the lore pieces that I read that they like to just go and hang out in taverns. I don't know why. Like, it didn't say why. It just said they like to go to taverns, but they hate people. So now I'm just envisioning this little because thing stalking a, around and peeking around the corner at people and just giving them a dirty look and then running around. There's always a flow of money. Maybe. That would, ma- that would make sense. They like to clutch on gold coins and start their own little hordes, which instead of a horde is just one coin. <laughs> and they just protect it, but they're always looking for a prettier, shiner one and trade thing. it. I love it. And I think that baby dragon meme, which, which whose horde is one coin, but pe- people in the market it from the coin, the dragon comes with it. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that. <laughs> All right. Um. Any overall, what did you guys think of this list? Uh, again, the the first four, I'd never heard of them. I'm going to use them now, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that's what everyone feels like. You know. Yeah. That's the point, right? Is that these monsters are really fun, really cool, and they've got a they've got a variety of different uses. Not just you know trying to kill your players, but that's definitely the benefit. Like uh, I think uh, somebody <laughs> Delcinia mentioned, or somebody mentioned in the comments about garbage disposals. Can you ha- imagine having one of these old tugs uh, in just a basement of an inn that just there's a hole that they just throw things in? And that's all it does. It just devours everything. That's the thing about D&D is you can make the world fantastical by using monsters in a unique way, right? (laughs) Yeah. For me, in one of the adventures I wrote for our Extraordinary Expeditions, the Harpies were using gelatinous cubes as garbage disposals. Yep. They had little pits in them. Not only is it a trap, but they would just throw their leftovers in there that they didn't want. Here you go. So – Delcinia, the Periton is definitely going to harass my players on the way to a Dwarven City. Yes, yes. All right, I think that'll do it for our uh, main topics. Did you have any other comments? I don't know if I. I Not really. All right. Uh, Before we move on to our honor tips and tricks, as always, we have a plug coming from our generous sponsor, Crit Academy. That's us. So I want to let everyone know that we. uh, (laughs) I brought my shirt today. Yes, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> took four, three times, but Two. we got through there. Uh, <laughs> so Crit Academy has just released our new classics bundle. What's in this classics bundle, you ask? Well, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks Volume 1, 50, 25, I don't remember. Lots of sure 25 uh encounters monsters yep. magic items dm tips player tips so much stuff it's popular it's bestseller go get in fact all these are best-selling <laughs> um I then we've we got the volume one i'm actually kind of we stopped at volume one right well we actually did too but i rest my case <laughs> <laughs> um our fantastic terrain which if you like your world to be exotic and have um encounters be more engaging by having locate battles on an area that's infused with barbarian blood that causes everyone to gain rage benefits and lose control. Yeah, that's a fantastic terrain. Yep. Or how about uh, something that heals your party a little quicker? Or maybe it infuses spell casting of necromancy, making it cast at higher levels while you stand on top of sacrificial ritual area. Makes for an awesome boss encounter because then they got to they don't want they got to move them. 
Um, challenge accepted. <laughs> I love challenge accepted. I love skill challenges. Yep. Um, anybody that knows that I run these all the time. Yeah. And I think that they're a lot of fun. Skill challenges are a nice systematic approach to the more non-combat sort of scenarios in a nice structured format. I'm actually uh, proud of the one I submitted for that one. You did a very good job. That was the the <laughs> healing uh, the the healing somebody one, right? Yeah. Somebody was injured and they had to like patch him up. But the arrow was enchanted where it reacts negatively to magic. Yep, so they couldn't just use cure wounds. Exactly. So it forced medicine checks and stuff. That was a really good one. This is our way of taking one of the uh, better features of uh, past editions and bringing it out. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Because it's not in 5e. Yeah, and well, I'm well, I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to see a lot of things from some of my, my favorite editions show up in 5e. So. Um, of course, you also get weapon perks. Yeah. Weapon perks is amazing. It is hands down our biggest seller. Did we just recently hit uh, Mithril bestseller? Really? Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. amazing. So thank you to everyone that picked that bad boy up. Less than 1% of products. At Mithril. Think about that. Wow. Yeah. So, that's like being top 1% on fam, only fans. Only fans? <laughs> <laughs> but D&D better. after hours. Uh. <laughs> so if they don't know what Weapon Perks is, uh, we believe that some of the uh, item magic I- – or the, the mundane items are – too similar. In fact, too some mundane. of them are <laughs> yeah. exactly the same. You know, so we the started to give them – The sword and the battle axe. I don't know. I was thinking yeah, pikes. Something. They're both flashing, both 1d8 or something. Yeah. But one costs more for no apparent reason. Um, anyways, comes with weapon perks, um, which I love. If you've been following us on social media, you know that we're working on equipment perks. Um, it is a, a supplement that not only offers weapon perks, but armor perks as well. So That please, one's kind of hard to do. Yeah, it is. It's very – and there's a lot of back and forth. And I do thank everyone who's engaging. Next, it also includes fantastic feats. I love feats. Everyone loves feats. Feats are fantastic. They add to customization. I like two of them. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, he does. But maybe not before he leaves today. (laughs) One less. Uh, Fantastic feats take some of our favorites from prior editions. Um, It is certainly focused less on combat and more on utility feats than some of the combat ones. Um, So if that's something that tickles your dice, definitely check it out. Um, it's honestly at twenty nine ninety five. You save over thirty percent on the retail price of all of them. Please consider checking it out at rebrand.ly/classicsbundle. And now, what you've all been waiting for: our unearth tips and tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Today, we're going to talk about our monster variant. The Centaur Peacekeeper. That sounds epic. It, it, it really is very cool. So the oh. origin stat block is the Lamia, making it a CR4. Um, we're going to lose its spell list, its claws, its daggers, and its intoxicating touch and multi-attack. <gasps> You're taking away its multi-attack? There's a reason. It makes up for There's it. always a reason. <laughs> so, new features. Movement speed becomes 50 because it's a centaur. It's a centaur. We're also going to give it plate armor. Yep. What? Plate armor on a centaur? Yes. Please tell me you have a picture of this. Oh, good. Awesome. You guys will have to check it out later. Anyways, it's a fully armored centaur, armored to the teeth. So this means we have to give it um, equipment that follows that theme. So piercing charge. Uh, if the centaur moves at least 30 feet towards a creature and hits it, it takes an extra 2d8 piercing damage, and they must succeed on a strength save or be knocked prone. You're basically skewering whatever you charge at with these things. Yep. Which I think is awesome. What's another feature that it gets? Well, it gains divine sense four times per day. And until the end of its turn, it knows the location of any celestial fiend or undead within 60 feet that's not behind total cover. Oh, I like that. So, so we're basically making a paladin centaur. Yes, Brandon, what's a another feature? Centaur. Holy weapon! The centaur's lance attacks deals an additional 9 or 2d8 radiant damage, including in the attack. Included in the attack. Included in the attack and are considered magical. Oh, I think Ian's right. I think we combined a nature-loving centaur <sighs> with holy smites. <laughs> we're going to give it lay on hands as well. Uh, Land Hounds gives it a pool of 25 hit points to cure disease, poison, and heal itself, which is fantastic. But Or allies. Nobody heals their allies. <laughs> at all. Ever. 
If you're too weak Austin, to take yourself, keep yeah. yourself alive, you're too weak to survive with me. Austin might disagree with you after Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, we're also going to give it Sacred Weapon, which is once a day for one minute, the centaur adds three to the attack rolls made with its lance. The, uh, the, uh, the lance also emits bright light in the 20 feet and dim light for another 20 feet beyond that. So it makes a glowing magical lance, which is awesome. Yeah. Do you know the benefit of a centaur <laughs> wielding a lance, you guys? Pain. Pain. It's pain! Okay. Uh, yeah. reach? Fight. Well, okay, so that's one of them, but I don't... Does the, does the lance have reach? I'm pretty sure, know. yeah, it's right there. Uh, Can't but be. anyways, the big thing about it is that the biggest drawback to using a lance... Is you, unless you're mounted, it takes two hands. Yep. Guess who's mounted? Not a centaur. To himself. I would argue a centaur doesn't need was, the mounted. I was just yeah. thinking you can't win in a joust yeah. with a centaur. Actually, raw, it, it doesn't, which makes no sense. But that's another Yeah, that's why we don't care about raw when we design <laughs> our monsters, all right? So, no, it doesn't have to deal with it. It charges with one hand, and that's all it takes because it's a centaur. It's half horse. It's the best part of a horse in. <laughs> Okay, it's the best part of a horse, and the man is – I can't find a better way to say that. So imagine your father stop. was a centaur and your mother was a mermaid, and you get human half bolsters. You just ended up being some person. dude. <laughs> You're just some guy. <laughs> Does Lance have disadvantage on close range? Yes, within five feet, I think it has disadvantage. Is that right? Um, you confirm that? Yeah, um, I, I do think yeah. Ricardo is right, though. Um, Any reach all right, weapons so have the same effect as Obviously, weapons. if we're going to rock the, the Paladin Fields, we need to give yeah. spells. So we are going to give it a Sacred Flame cantrip. I know Paladins <laughs> don't have that, whatever. Um, it does now. <laughs> did you find the rule? Is it a Cleric spell? Yeah, it is. So whatever. I didn't say it was a Paladin only, right? Uh, we're going to also give it three <laughs> first-level spell slots, and we're going to give it Bless, Compelled Duel, Protection from Good and Evil, and Shield of Faith. So I think right now we only have three spell slots though because we're only a third caster. Yep. But I think we're doing okay. Um, yep. Disadvantage when attacking a target within five feet of you. Yes. So you just give them your hooves. That's fine. That's what it's perfect <laughs> for, right? So, uh, what does the lance do? Ian? It, it shank things. Pokies. <laughs> it's a poke. It does skewer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does it do specifically? It hits with the 12 plus 3 plus the radiant damage we mentioned earlier. Oh, with that 2d8 is brutal. It yep. basically has at-will smite, in case you haven't figured it out. It hits like a truck. Wow. Hmm? <laughs> it's like a truck. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about its hooves attack, uh, Brandon? Hooves. Uh, let's see. It's a... Uh... Plus five to hit, and it's 14. 2d10 plus three. Yep. Bludging damage. Just standard. So that's the attack you use yeah. when they're up close, and you don't want to you, – you can't get the disadvantage, Get right? from me up. So that's a way to offset that. And it's, then last – The Lance Mastery is a reaction. When the creature enters the reach of a centaur's lance, it can use a reaction to make an opportunity attack. <laughs> With oh, 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 oh. It's a good thing you got rid of multi-attack because this is bullshit. <laughs> well, you know, it's just how I roll. Roll. God damn it. <laughs> No, overall, what do you guys think about this armor-piercing horseman? I think it's fun. Or woman. <laughs> person. I can see this being like a guardian of the temple. Yep. Yes. That you're trying to gain access to. Oh, like, I like uh -uh. that. I like that a lot. Or imagine finding a squad of these things. Oh, that's good. Show me that you're worthy. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> I do think that you could do a lot with this because, um, because of its more paladin-like nature... It doesn't have to be something that just, like, fights, but says, hey, you do not belong here. Turn away before I am forced to thrash you. Okay. <laughs> I'm not thinking about the beer night from the Bud Light commercials. Ooh. The beer night? <laughs> I love that. But just the voice coming out of this thing's armor. <laughs> Dude, I would love to give this thing, like, mimic armor. Although I love how they retired the, the character. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what they do. They basically did the crossover Super Bowl commercial with Game of Thrones. They had the mountain crush him. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's hilarious. <laughs> Delcinia is not hard to do. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> if my, when I want, uh, she says, definitely want to use this. Uh, uh, these if or when my players piss off a god. That's great. Like it's a god's champion. I love that. Yep. It's an avatar. So, all right. Um, if you like cool. this monster and you would like the full stat block, all the backstory, and the knowledge check information, as well as ways to use it, please head on over to patreon.com slash critacademy. Let's move on to our encounter 
of the podcast. Fruit of life. Fruit of life. Brandon, would you like to start off with that first paragraph? Yes, I will. I'm going to use my phone because I can't see shit up there. <laughs> rare, plant, rare plant that – rare what? plant – shush. Rare, it's a rare plant that grows a single fruit atop the pile of corpses. What, what? the shit, man? Yeah. What? Uh, that's weird. Nothing. Uh, said to heal anything. The characters are hired by Erdol, a dwarf aristocrat. <laughs> His only son and hair is dying. Hair, hair, air, hair. Uh, air. You, you know what it is. To when he dies, he gets the throne. <laughs> Shut up. He has reached out to any and all healers that he can afford, and none have been successful in curing his illness. Oh no! No oh. scrub. Scrub. <laughs> Many believe it to be uh, magical in nature, but there is no clear information to confirm one way or another. Mm. He met with a wise sage that claimed ancient lore of something known as the fruit of life. Oh, that's a good, good stuff. Growing from corpses. <laughs> ancient texts claim it can cure any illness. Erdol <laughs> is seeking characters to find and locate the magical fruit. Ooh. Erdol doesn't know where to start, and the characters must head to the Rose Lodge's library to better study the lore. The characters must delve into the library and succeed in a skill challenge to locate the source of the fruit. The characters must succeed on six skill checks before getting four failures. (laughs) On a success, they learn the truth. The fruit grows after a ritual on a pile of a hundred corpse sacrifices. Holy water and a complex prayer to a deity, deity must take place. On a combo. failure, on a failure, well, it doesn't say what deity is. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. On a failure, they learn uh, of a place where it, it may be found. It exists in a land where an entire city was destroyed by a dragon. The land itself is nearly desolate. In it, only the dragon's followers live. The characters must sneak in and locate the fruit, only to learn the truth. Yep. Anyone who eats the fruit gains the effects of the regenerate spell. So, you said interesting with the deity. I couldn't. I didn't want to use uh, Watsy official deities in this, but the deity that needs to be worshipped to is definitely not a good one. You think? <laughs> Oh, goodness. What do you guys think of this? Oh, the regenerate spell's not permanent, so... Mm. No, it's not. Um, and once they eat the fruit, it's gone. So unless they're willing to sacrifice more people, they'll say any of that, sure. super disturbing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's 100% inspired by Full Metal Alchemist and the Philosopher's Stone, because we just talked about it another day ago. <laughs> I was clearly on a, on a roll recently. Um, but what do you guys think about this sort of uh, kind of uh, encounter? Well, if the crew already exists, you might as well use it. <laughs> Just as long as I make another one. Right, it already yeah, right, it already exists. Well, nobody else is gonna use it, right? Yeah. But that's, you, that's another one of those pull up the moral strings of your players. Yeah, that's kind of my jams. Yep. I've noticed. Um, so the the interesting part is though, w- once the characters learn all this and they gather the fruit, what's to stop them just from keeping it for themselves? Nothing. A bad liar. <laughs> so do you think that's a double that's kind of a double whammy then, isn't it? Yeah. Uh. So did you find the fruit? No. Sorry. Give an insight check on that shit. Like, oh yeah, he's fucking lying. Um, and that's kind of how it goes. Overall, this is a pretty straightforward uh, adventure. Um, what I like about it is the moral ambiguity that's tied with it. As always, that's kind of my shtick. Yep. Um, I do like that it is a a research focused um adventure. <laughs> Um, now, I obviously, I couldn't say Candle Keep was the adventure because I don't want to have to rewrite it later. But um, the fact that it's, they have to adventure to the library gives you, the DM, the opportunity to place that library some way if it's not already defined and allows you to cater to the players that like the lore and exploration aspects of D&D as opposed to just the combat. Um, at least that was the intent behind it. Um, is there any changes you would do to this? Not really. It's the right answer. I give you a raise if I could. Excellent. What about you, Brandon? I was going to say no. Okay. All right, that'll do it for our encounter. Let's move on to our magic item. Ian, do you want to hit us up? The Bow of Elemental Chaos. Professor Chaos. Yes, we need more magical bows. (laughs) I know you say that every time, and I always think of you every time I do it. I know. It's very rare. Requires attunement. 
As a bonus action, you can speak the bow's command word and imbue it with energy from the elemental chaos. For up to a minute, as if concentrating on a spell, a projectile fired from this bow has an effect that occurs on the hit in addition to its normal damage. Ooh. And you determine this by, well, rolling a d6. If you roll a 1 on a hit, the target and each creature within 10 feet must make a dex save. When it fails, it takes 2d6 fire damage, or half as much on a successful save. <laughs> on a deuce, or a two, the target, deuce. <laughs> the target takes an extra 1d10 lightning damage. And a target in each creature in a 5 foot wide line leading to the creature must succeed on, the, on a saving throw. I assume dexterity again. Yep. On sure. a failed save, the creature takes 1d10 lightning damage, or half as much on a successful we'll save. Three, four, five. Oh, there What's number three, Brandon? <laughs> Uh, number three, on a hit, the target takes an extra 2d10 necrotic damage Ooh. and has disadvantage on his next attack rolls before the start of your next turn. Ouch. Number four, on a hit, the target takes an extra 2d8 cold damage, <laughs> and each creature within a 60-foot cone must succeed on a DC 15 constitution save. It's a big-ass cone. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, well, I think it's very rare. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. On a failed save, the creature takes 2d8 uh, cold damage, and its movement is reduced by 10. On a success, they take half damage, and its speed isn't reduced. Yeah, yeah. Number five, you? Number five, on the hit... The creature takes an extra 2d10 force damage to the target. It must succeed on a strength save or be pushed back 20 feet and knocked prone. 20 feet's a long way. <laughs> Damn. <Wah! laughs> Random. Uh, on a six. If you roll six. On a hit, the target takes an extra 2d6 psychic damage to the target. Huh, Don't yeah. worry about the wording there. Yeah, Just the keep wor- going. Wording is shit. And the target must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom save or be stunned until the end of its next turn. Ouch. You, you know who's uh, you know who's weak to psychic damage? Barbarians. Raging barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're Emerald Dr- Dragonborn. Uh, Ricardo says he <laughs> likes it, and Dalsinia says, "Oh, dude, I need to send you Honey's Quiver. It's a fun magic item." What do you guys do, think about this? Please, I please think the fact that you country on this kind of interesting, mm-hmm. which means you have to, uh, especially if you're playing a ranger, like do I country on this or a <laughs> yeah spell. Like Hunter's Mark. Yeah, it's very interesting and it's very fun. Um, and it adds a bit of chaos to the battle. But each one has its own benefit, right? And uh-huh. that's kind of the shtick. Yes. So I like I like the idea of thinking like, oh, they've got an enemy, he's next to this cliff edge. I'm hoping for that one number is gonna push him. <laughs> Damn it! That'll work, Spartan Kick. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> but I think that's kind of the point of the randomness, right? Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, moving on to our dungeon master tip: fast traveling. <laughs> fast traveling. Yes, you've this... unlocked a waypoint. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god! Sometimes the journey characters make from one location to another <laughs> can be just as or more rewarding than the actual adventuring goal. This could be due to numerous different things from random combat, discovering a lost location, or just simply roleplay opportunity between travelers, which is hands down one of my favorite things when it happens. Or sometimes you just need to skip to the destination. Yes. <laughs> Occasionally, however, the pace and continuity of the story require the characters to get to the destination swiftly. So, when fleshing out your world... Consider the variety of ways the world's inhabitants travel. While most mundane travel is likely done by horse-drawn carriage or walking, um, there are are so many more fun and interesting ways to travel. So here we're going to discuss a few of the different ones you can toss in your world. So when I thought – when when we put this together, one of the, the first things that came to mind is Oh, taking a boat. But anybody that's played a video game knows what are some things that are common to traveling. Airships. Airships is a good one. That's a big one. Dragons. Dragons is another one. I, I think Wyverns, because I played on Horde side of World of Warcraft, <laughs> and I was always flying on Wyverns and bats and stuff. I remember in uh, uh, Dragon Heist, the town guards were Griffin Riders. Yes, that's a good one. Um, so those, there, there's, there's precedent for that, yeah. you know, divine intervention. Sometimes the guy just needs something to get done quick. <laughs> Portals, te- teleportation <laughs> circles. Puts over here. Reindeer. Reindeer. <laughs> 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 
flying up to the, the top of a mountain on reindeer. With, oh, 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 I don't fall <laughs> off. Uh, so teleportation circles are already in D&D, but we don't have a lot of them. Typically, oh. it's only the really big cities that have them, right? Yeah. Is that because they're expensive? Yes. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I think the spell costing reagents are probably really high. Yep. Catapult. <laughs> Dude, that would be a ter- perfect way for goblins to travel between levels of like their fortress. Yep. All right, uh, breaks over. <laughs> so the goblin just goes way too far. There's a lot you can do. Um, even magic items, right? Having a a person give a magic item that will teleport somebody somewhere is super useful. At least that's an in-game story reason of how they go from point A to point B. One of the worst things that I find that happens is, oh, you're there. But it works. I mean, it's acceptable. <laughs> but at least say, oh, you took a, uh, you you joined the circus, you joined the traveling circus to go there. They were going that way. That means you're safe. But now that's why you got ten, ten, ten weeks of travel without any issues. Yep. Right? But even then, that's still an opportunity for role play. So, anything else on this fast traveling? Is this something you guys considered in your games? You do any games? Uh, you actually, do? my. Fa- He's singing a song and saying you're at your destination. Oh, that is some very level bard. That's some bard stuff right there. Get in a get in a circle and hold hands and sing. What are you say? Now, in the campaign running for the students at Dabble, or Reverend of Dabble, um, I made a world map that's got hexagons on it. Like, like we had covered that once before. Oh, we went and did hex crawls, yeah. Yeah, and I based it on the, based on the, the size of the U.S. for a continent to determine... Mm-hmm. How long is like okay? Okay, from Maine to California, it takes forty-one days to walk if you don't stop. So I made forty-one hexagons on this continent to say that's how long it's gonna take to get from here to here. Every every hexagon is uh one day to walk. You can do three hexagons to a on a wagon or like five by flying, something like that. That's cool. But every hexagon, I roll to see if something happens. Man, Brandon just sounds like an awesome DM. It'd be nice to be invited to a game that he runs for more than two sessions. What? Okay. Alright, so, <laughs> I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Fast traveling. No <laughs> cities is out. Oh, oh man, I felt that from here. <laughs> so we get the fire extinguisher. Burn! Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a dick. dick! And you can avoid dickitude by... Role-playing a halfling. Halflings are practical folk who maintain their good spirits even in the face of dire circumstances. They avoid putting themselves in dangerous or difficult situations and try to keep a carefree attitude and positive outlook. Unlike this prick. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, D. I know you do. Oh, shit. Uh, Stories and tales of the past, regardless of whether they are true, fascinate halflings. And many such legends have lured halflings into fantastic adventures exploring ancient ruins and delving into the world's deep places mm. <laughs> many halflings have an innate curiosity and adventurous spirit which on a small scale leads only to local trouble and mischief however mm-hmm. these traits also give halflings the potential to succeed as great adventurers oh, yes. and more than a few have done just that you'd argue that they have a real knack for it Lit up. doesn't that mean one of their powers I don't think so. All right. Anyways, this does come from Got from the <laughs> Forgotten Realms Player Guide. Um, it's one of my favorite fourth edition books. Um, so some good stuff. I love the halfling. I think that sometimes you need a little guide um, guide to playing halflings because I feel like there's no real consistent way people play them. They like um, food. Yeah. Not not that playing a halfling in a certain way is wrong, but this is kind of the the sort of personality traits and things that were make them fascinating. I think. Um, have, you, have you seen the first five minutes of Vox Machina? <laughs> He's the exception to the rule. Uh, I'm not. I'm not talking about a uh, short halt, Scanlan. I'm talking about <laughs> the part that gets fucked in the first five minutes. Oh yeah, <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> the half was like, "Holy shit, man!" <laughs> Get crushed by the dragon when they're fighting the dragon, big boulders and stuff. Um, all right. Um, that's a pretty straightforward player tip. Sometimes it's nice to just yeah, hear right. a little bit of the Scanlan's and all. Uh, Lore. Uh, whatever. Gnome, halfling, eh, whatever. <laughs> the only thing different is the powers that they get. <laughs> I, I know people that play halflings. Gnomes are non-existent most of the time. 
Do you know why? Because the halfling traits are just better. Like, like Lucky. Lucky. Wow, I can feel the hate mail coming. I don't know why. I don't know. I love gnomes. I just... I love. Gnomes. I just think that nobody plays them because pe- people innately like Lucky better than anything else the gnome has to offer. Oh, they get minor illusion, so I can't roll in that one the first time on you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and that's your player tip for the podcast. <laughs> Don't, Don't be a, a dick. dick, and you can avoid dickitude by <laughs> adding a little Forgotten Realms lore to your halfling play. Before we close out today, as always, we have fat loot to give away. <laughs> Today we are giving away our newest re- – one of our newest releases, our Crit Academy <laughs> map pack. It's 12 hand-drawn maps by the legendary Gene Lorber. Amazing artwork. I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't already. Um, whether you're publishing content because it comes with a commercial license or you're just using it for your home game, please consider picking it up and supporting us. Who's our winner today, B? Uh, I want to say it's Brayden Michael, 20. Congratulations to Brayden. If you enjoy the product, please leave a review. If not, well, okay, sorry. God damn it, we tried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you didn't win, no problem. Head on over to CrickMe.com and subscribe for your chance to win. Yep. And if you enjoyed the show, you want to support us, visit us at CrickMe.com and follow us on social media. And please leave us a review. Please. Yes. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Keep Keep your your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. heroes!